Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to worship today. So good to see you. My name is Aaron Rosenau, one of the pastors here at Faith. It's good to welcome you if you're worshiping online today or if you're in person. So glad that you're able to join us. 
Uh, we're continuing a series this summer that we're, it's really carrying us through the entire summer up through Labor Day weekend. It's called Rethink. We're talking about the lies that we believe, what the world tells us, what we tell ourselves, uh, what we believe is not true. And we were looking to the scriptures to, uh, to trust God at his word and uh, to listen to his word more than ourselves and more than the world. So rethinking the lies that we believe. Um, also coming up in a couple weeks, just a couple announcements here, uh, two weeks from uh, this weekend on Saturday, August 5th, we're gonna be celebrating the end of our VBS week, our Vacation Bible School week, and we're also gonna have a church picnic. So uh, Saturday, August 5th, after our Saturday worship, if you are here, then uh, we're gonna just invite you to stay and join us for the church picnic. And if you normally come on Sunday, then come on Saturday for the church picnic and then come back on Sunday, whatever you'd like to do. But uh, we hope that you'll join us for that. There's an online sign up for that. You can let us know that you're gonna be there so that we make sure that we set up appropriately for that. And then, um, you know, with a church picnic, always is in Vacation Bible School Week, it really is uh, a sign that we're getting closer to the end of summer I know, boo, but um, it's true. We're getting closer to the end of summer and uh, the start of the school year. So um, that also means that we're thinking about fall programming. And right now that means we're thinking about Sunday school teachers. And uh, if you are one who would love to help us out with Sunday school, especially here at our Celebration Ministry Center, we could use a few hands with that. Um, if you don't wanna teach every week, you could certainly uh, tag team that with others and you could uh, serve in other roles too, not just in teaching, but in assisting our Sunday school ministry and other ways too. So uh, Tracy Sari is the person on our staff. She's our director of children family ministry uh, and she would be able to hook you up with uh, opportunities to serve in that way. So um, yeah, just maybe consider how God would be calling you to serve in, um, in our education ministry. That's the announcements I have. I'm gonna invite you to stand as I hand it over to Eliza and the band, and we're gonna worship our Lord today uh, with, uh, for all his goodness and grace for us in Jesus Christ. Let's lift up our praise.
congregation, you may be seated as we move into a time of confession. We will be singing the song, Lord, I Need You. definitely not a good thing to always think of ourselves, but I think it's a really good thing in a time when we're confessing before God that we say, I need you every hour. I need you. Because sometimes we, you know, I've had people come to me after worship and they'll say, Pastor, that was a really great message today. I wish my brother-in-law heard that. Or I wish that my neighbor next door would have been able to hear that. And sometimes we think about the, the conviction of the word of God for other people and not ourselves. But when it comes to confession, it's really good for us actually to lay that before God about ourselves. You know, I need you. You are my righteousness, my one defense. Paul says in Titus chapter three, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his 
mercy. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter two that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus by his grace. It's my privilege as one of your pastors to announce that grace to you, to assure you that you are forgiven in Christ. Because of his righteousness, what he has done, he is our one defense. He is the one who has come to save. And because of him, you are set free, made new, forgiven. Let's sing. hear the goodness of God in the scriptures, and we turn to that now. First in Psalm 17, David's plea for justice in the face of false accusations and persecution is lifted up to the Lord. David says, my steps have held to your paths. My feet have not slipped. 
I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. Show the wonder of your great love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. Our second reading is from Philippians chapter two. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now for the reading of the gospel, I invite you to stand as we hear from our Lord in Matthew chapter six. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do you know, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the gospel of our Lord. And now we join together in all of us speaking together the words of the creed. This is a summary of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
may be seated. Everyone was celebrating victory. There were impromptu parades that were rising up in the streets as the word of the wind spread and people came out of their homes to join the party. Bands started playing in the streets. The city was ecstatic, euphoric. There was very little sleep that night because everyone was just so fired up that the party went on into mourning. Everyone joined the celebration, except for one. One man sat and stewed for no good reason. He should have been elated like everyone else, but the more that they cheered and the more that they chanted, the more his blood boiled. The city was Jerusalem in Israel. About a thousand years before Christ, Saul was king, the first ever king of Israel, like the George Washington of Israel. He was a man's man, strong, athletic. First Samuel chapter nine says that Saul was an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the, other, of the others. He was a man's man and he led Israel to victory. He rescued the cities of Israel from the Ammonites. He routed the Philistines and protected the borders of Israel. He was a hero. But then there was a new hero. The Philistines had come back, this time with a giant of a warrior. I mean, literally a giant named Goliath, who was, as the Bible tells us, nine feet tall. His armor alone weighed something like 150 pounds. He was an enormous man. And even Saul, the warrior king, was shaking in his armor at the sight of Goliath. Everyone was. But then David came with the confidence of the Lord with a sling and a stone, and he defeated Goliath, the giant. And so everyone wanted to celebrate. They were ready to celebrate victory over the Philistines again. First Samuel chapter 18 says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was angry. This refrain galled him. He thought, they have credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So I mentioned at the beginning of worship today that we're continuing this series. All summer, we're in a series called Rethink. And today we're talking about the lie of personalization, that we take everything personally, way too personally. So can you imagine the Packers make it to the Super Bowl, except the starting quarterback has been injured and he's sitting on the sidelines, not able to play. The backup quarterback leads them to victory and they're Super Bowl champs. But the starting quarterback who has led them to that point all through the season, but sat on the sideline is sulking and grumbling in the corner, fuming because he wasn't named Super Bowl MVP. Can you imagine? 
He's a Super Bowl champ and all he can do is grumble. That's sort of what's going on with Saul in Israel. They are victorious and he's the king over Israel, but he refuses to celebrate because he's blinded by jealousy. Saul has taken it as a personal affront that they would sing praise to someone else, to David who slew the giant. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And not only did he keep a jealous eye on David, Saul actually rose in his jealousy and grew in his jealousy, tried to kill David more than once until it finally destroyed him. It destroyed Saul. His jealousy was his undoing. He lost the kingship and he lost his life. Now it's usually not this extreme where we actually attempt to kill other people, but I would say that we all do this all the time, take things way too personally. And we damage and undermine our marriages, our friendships, and even our own mental health. So just yesterday, small example, my wife pointed out something to me that we needed to deal with. It was a serious enough thing that the tone of her voice let me know that it was serious and I needed to take it seriously. But for whatever reason, I think because I'm a deeply flawed human being that tends to take things personally, I snapped at her. Now this actually happens in pastor's families too. It's not just yours, right? For no good reason, she wasn't blaming me, but I heard it that way. I heard it personally. I heard her blaming me and I let her know it. And she let me know that she was not happy with me after that for a good reason. <laughs> I escalated it in an instant because I took it personally. And I think we can all do this because someone looks at us funny, because someone cuts us off mid-sentence, because they forgot an appointment with us, whatever it is, he doesn't respect me. She doesn't care for me. I guess it's not important to her. I think about a woman who came to her pastor and she said, my husband does not respect me at all anymore. And he said, why do you say that your husband doesn't respect you anymore? She said, because for one, he comes home late every single night. And I know he does that just because he does not respect me. He doesn't wanna be with me. He doesn't love me anymore. Now, any of us who are looking at this objectively probably could think of a dozen reasons that have nothing to do with his wife, why he is coming home late from work every night. Could be that he's just got a lot on his plate and it's hard to just let go and put it down and walk out the door. It could be that he's way too focused on pleasing his boss and so that becomes more important than his family. It could be that he's working long hours because he's trying to earn more money because he's got in mind the college tuition bill that's coming up. It could be that he's insecure and his achievement at work is filling a place in his emotional being somewhere inside, right? He feels better about himself by being successful at work. Work could be his go-to drug. Some people drown out their stress with alcohol, some with gaming or excessive shopping or chocolate or, you know, I don't know, but some people do that with work. They work to drown out all their problems. This woman's husband could have been working late for any number of reasons, any of those and many more, none of them having to do anything with offending her 
or disrespecting her, but she made it about her. That's the lie of personalization, making it all about me. Now, it's not, like, it's not as if you know, we need to be indifferent, that we don't need to confront somebody else when there's something going on like that. And hey, you know, I feel disrespected when you are coming home late like this all the time. But don't assume the issue is about you. You know, every once in a while, I know this is really hard to believe, but every once in a while, I'll actually catch someone nodding off during the sermon. I see their head going like this, their eyes closed. And I just know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, early on in my ministry, I've been doing this for 21 years now. And early on, I would, um, I would take great offense at this. Like they're just disrespecting me by sleeping during this message. They don't care about what I have to say. And then I had someone come up to me after worship one time and said, said, he said, pastor, I'm so sorry. I really could not stay awake during the whole service today, but it has been one of those weeks. I got called into work late last night and I, I haven't even been home yet. I came straight from work to here for worship and, and now I just need to go home and sleep. And it just, it made me realize, you know, I have no idea what is going on in somebody else's life. You might have sleep apnea and you have a really hard time sleeping at night. And I, my voice is just so soothing. You have to just fall asleep, right? <laughs> it could be that you worked all night and you're just really tired and it's really hard to stay awake, right? It has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Now, sometimes maybe I need to be a little bit more engaging. I don't know, but I don't take it personally. Now that's not an invitation to sleep. The point is, that we never know what's going on in somebody else's life. Maybe you were a little short with somebody and maybe they felt it. Maybe you just needed your morning coffee. I don't know. Maybe you felt blown off because you said hi and they didn't respond, but they have something on their mind that's big and they are on a mission and they just didn't hear you. They're not disrespecting. They're not snubbing you. They're just busy. I don't know. It has nothing to do with you. But this is what we do. We personalize it. We make it about us. In our self-centered, broken, sinful world, we tend to personalize it. And there's a word for this, conceit. Conceit is an over-focus on self overthinking about ourselves as if the world revolved around you. And it doesn't. You see this in little kids, right? My toys are my toys. Your toys are my toys. If you're doing something, I have to have it. You know, uh, you see kids who say, you know, hey, mom, watch me. No, you weren't watching. Watch me, I have to do it again, right? Because everything has to revolve around them. It's sort of like social media, like all of us, big kids who grow up and we don't get past having to have everything about us and we have to show it off and display it as sort of, look at me. I'm reminded of a humorous quote. At age 20, we worry about what others think of us. At 40, we don't care what they think of us. At 60, we realize they haven't been thinking about us at all. Sometimes we just need the reminder, the world is not revolving around us. But we fall into this lie of personalization all the time. Am I right? Paul says in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's an interesting phrase to me, vain conceit. Conceit. Literally, there's a word in the original language that means vainglory, vainglory, vain conceit. Now, you know, anyone know what the word vain means? Literally? What, is, what does vain mean? Oh, come on. Yeah, this is interactive. Let's go. Yeah. You know what it means? 
It means empty. Yeah, vain means empty. There's nothing. You know, um, you know the you go into your bathroom and there's a sink and a mirror with lights over it, maybe to the side and everything. You know, we call that a vanity. Why do we call it a vanity? Because you could look all good on the outside, but on the inside, totally vain, right? Empty, as if no, you know people like this. If you don't know somebody like this, I'm afraid it might be you. <laughs> you, know, you, know who they're, you know what I'm talking about though? They, they're, they look good on the outside. They might look athletic. They might look successful. They might look beautiful, but they are empty, shallow human beings. You know what I'm talking about? Don't be that person, Paul says. Don't do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, this empty conceit. And there's another way of thinking about this, not just that you're looking good on the outside, but on the inside, really empty. But if you're chasing after things for yourself in this world, if your mind is always about me, 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 in the end, all those things are like a, like a mirage in the desert. You could chase after uh, recognition. You could chase after people's affirmation and affection. And you think that you're going to an oasis and you're gonna drink up water and it ends up being just sand in your mouth, right? That, that's sort of the image, it's, it's empty. Um, Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about chasing after the wind. There's, it's nothing, you're always grasping at air. That's vanity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This not, does not mean that you think of yourself less, it's just that you think of others more. Now, Paul, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus very interestingly says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, this is what I wanna focus on this next verse. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's very interesting. The world tells us to think about ourselves and our sinful nature is to think of ourselves. But what does God say? God says, self-focus is actually empty. Self-absorption, self-interest, self-promotion, those actually are vain. They empty us. Others focus when we deny ourselves and lose our life for others. It's counterintuitive, but you actually live more. Life is greater when you actually turn away from yourself to others. It's amazing. I have a mentor pastor who always likes to say that we are most fulfilled in life when we are reflecting God's attributes. So, you know, God is creative. So when we create something, we're fulfilled. You ever have that feeling? We just love to build something, create something, draw something, whatever. We're fulfilled because we're reflecting God's nature. When we die to ourselves, we deny ourselves and think of others, we're doing what God does. This is God's very nature. Not to think of self first, but to give of himself first. That's what Jesus did, right? He's, Paul says, have the same mind as that of Christ Jesus who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what he calls us to do. Actually, to, even in our minds, to, to think less about 
what, is, what, thing, what things are doing to affect us and actually think about what's going on in somebody else's life. And consider what is going on with this so that rather than complain about the husband who is coming late all the time, feeling disrespected, actually pray for my husband that he would have right priorities, that he would be able to get the work done, uh, love him in the midst of being overwhelmed and he wants to get home and asking him what's going on. Is there a reason? Communicating, right? All these things, actually putting another person first instead of just taking it as a personal slight. This is what God calls us to. And we turn around the lie of personalization instead of making it about us and making it about others. Amen? Amen. We're gonna take a moment to take our offerings. Uh, our ushers will come around and, and we'll pass the baskets around. We'll, uh, we'll just bring our offerings to God as a matter of uh, praise to him, recognizing that it's all his. Everything that we have is his. And we give a portion of that. Uh, thank you for your sacrifices, every way that you're able to support our ministry here at Faith so that we can bring this gospel, the good news of Jesus to everybody in our community, in our families, and in the world. So thank you so much. Uh, let's sing.
time of life, in all the joys, in all the times when we are facing the darkest storms of life, we know that our anchor holds within the veil. Our anchor is firm in Christ, and we will not be moved. You are our strength, our salvation, our shield, our cornerstone. Our hope is built on nothing less. Today, Lord, we pray your confident strength for those who are especially in need in this world, in body and mind and spirit. We pray for those who are battling addiction, those who are depressed, fighting mental illness, those who are battling with physical ailments, we pray for Jim Dreyer, who is having surgery this week. We pray for Sally Hintz, who was in the hospital and recovering at home. We pray for Jane Geske, as she's gonna be going to see the doctor for consultation and testing. We pray for Shirley Schrader with a number of ongoing health issues and all others that we name before you who are in need physically mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, we pray also for those who are grieving today. We pray for the family of David Knapp as he was laid to rest this last Friday. We pray for all those who are suddenly cast into the shadow of death in the dark valley of grief pray for those who are nearing the end of this earthly life, that you would strengthen them for their last moments, that they would be unafraid and that they would be full of faith. God, we lift up those joys and celebrations of life. You are the giver of all good things. Everything that we enjoy in this life is a gracious gift from your fatherly hand. So Lord, give us grateful hearts to thank you in each and every situation. We thank you for those celebrating anniversaries and we lift up Roger and Liz Stoll who are marking their 52nd anniversary this week. We all, all others who are rejoicing, whether that's two years or 70 years together, that their marriages would be full of service, centered on the other and not self. Lord, we thank you for those who are rejoicing at the birth of new children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews. Thank you for the new life which you give 
always that you have made and created a life in your image. God, we give you our lives, whether in a mountaintop moment of joy or in the valley of sorrow or somewhere in between in all the stresses and in all the celebrations, we commend our lives to your care and we trust that you hear us for Christ's sake, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. All right, let's sing this last song. Aaron talked about in his prayer that there are so many reasons to rejoice. And so um, let's take this time to just um, rejoice and worship our Lord.
all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go and serve the Lord.